Okay. So as, as I say, um, you know, the word sex in a religious setting like this, I know that we come maybe from different uh, places uh, here this morning. Uh, some of us might react to it and, and think, you know, I'm already sweating and I'm already uncomfortable and this is just gross. You know, this topic is embarrassing. Um, I'm, I'm over it. Um, it's weird. I kind of want nothing to, to do with it, either because of what's happened in my past or my present. Uh, but really, when I think about it, um, I, I just think the whole topic of sex is, is really gross. Uh, you know, you, you think about religious priests and vicars and pastors and all that goes down in this sort of area, and, and you, you're kind of here and you're thinking, I want nothing to do with it. On, on the other side, there might be some here as we talk about this, this topic today, and for you, it might be a bit of a God. You know, you, you think about it, you, you dream about it. You know, if you go to your classroom environment, you, you view your teachers through this lens. If you go on sports tours, you think about it. Uh, your preparation for the weekend around what you wear, how you dress, uh, where you're going to go, uh, it's all around this idea of, of sex. You, you, just, you just can't get enough, actually, of the topic. It's in your social media platforms, it's in your playlists, it's in your music, it's, it's in your movies, and, and you, just, you just want more and more and more and more. And so maybe you're coming from a place where actually sex is a little bit of a God. Now, whether you sit on the spectrum of you know, thinking that sex is gross, or whether you sit on the spectrum thinking that, that sex is a little bit of a God in your life, today I want to ask, what does God think? And I think God wants to encourage us to think about sex as a gift. And it's a gift from Him, from heaven. And this gift is supposed to be used in, in the right context, uh, in the right way. Um, and so today, um, I want to unpack two accounts that I've called the beauty and the beast, okay? And we're going to look at a first account in Scripture as we read through it. And it's between these two little lovebirds, King Solomon and I think his first wife, uh, the Shulamite, we'll call her Shuli today. And we're going to look at the beauty of this gift. And then we're going to look at the beast. Uh, we're going to go into this church situated into the city of Corinth. And we're going to see that, that there is also darkness and hurt and difficulty uh, as we engage and interact with this gift that our Father has given us from heaven to, to steward well. So we're going to do a bit of reading today, um, just to, to walk through these two accounts of beauty and beast, and then I'm going to speak about four applications that might be applicable to some of us, uh, hopefully all of us today. So let's dive into this song, uh, the Song of Solomon. It says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding, and he composed some of 3,000 proverbs and wrote about 1,005 songs, but this is Solomon's Song of Songs. You see, this song is more wonderful than any other. This song, as you notice, we're gonna pick up some themes, we're gonna look at metaphors, uh, we're gonna look at some theological truths as, as we learn about God. We're gonna be shocked that this is even in the Bible. And this song is very different to the songs that many of us have playing in our ears. Uh, it's different to the songs that we hear on, on radio. You know, th there's real beauty in this song. So let's start. Solomon sings over, um, you know, as we look at this song, it, it talks about his engagement, it talks about his wedding, and then it talks about what we're going to talk about. But here's some, some themes. 
Solomon says, you are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. So there's this sense in which he, he looks at this woman, uh, the Shulamite, or we'll call her Shuli, and he's like, you make the stallions like go, you know, there's, there's, there's some tension in the, in the atmosphere, you know. And then he says, you know, to her, like, like a lily among thistles or thorns is my darling among all the, the young women. And then she responds and says, like the finest apple tree, this juicy, crisp apple that I just want to bite into, like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among the other young men. And you see in, in these lines this, this exclusivity. You know, we think that romance is fueled by experience. But here we learn from God that, that romance is fueled by exclusivity. She says in the song, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. You see, you get the sense of their cuddle, you know. She says, my lover is mine and I am his. And there's this real sense of, of safety in this marriage relationship. And then the plot thickens. He says, you are a garden locked up. You know, no one has walked and explored and, and, and visited and, and eaten from your fruits. You've been like this garden that, that's, that's locked up and the guy's interested. And he calls, he says, my sister, because that's how they related. But now he refers to her as my bride. He says, you're a spring enclosed. No one has had a dip. No one has had a swim. You know, he, he says, you're a sealed fountain. No one has had a drink. And then she says, awake, north wind. Rise up, south wind. Blow on my garden. I don't know what that means. Um, and spread its fragrance all around. Jean-Pierre, she says. Come into your garden, my love. Taste its finest fruits. She says, my vineyard is mine to give, and Solomon need not pay. There's this sense of, of purity. There's this, this sense of, of real safety and of exclusivity. And, and, and as we look at this couple, we, we stand honestly on holy ground. Now, they weren't just doing their thing in private. They, they had friends and community involved in this relationship, cheering them on, encouraging them. So this, this Shulamite woman, her friends ask her this question, you know, why, why is your lover better than all others? And this is not a generalization, but, but uh, you know, look at how this chicken responds. She says, she, she starts at the head, you know, she starts at the top. She's like, my lover is dark and dazzling. His head is finest gold. His, his wavy hair is as black as a raven, you know. His eyes sparkle like doves. They are set like jewels washed in milk, you know. His cheeks, oh, his cheeks. They're like gardens of spices giving off fragrance. And his lips are like, they're like soft lilies. 
So there she's done with the head and then she moves down, you see? She says, his arms are like rounded bars of gold. His body is like bright ivory. And his legs, his legs are like marble pillars. His posture is stately. And then she goes back, you know, to the head. His mouth is sweetness itself. He's desirable in every way. Such, O woman of Jerusalem, is my lover. And then she ends with, my friend. There's a sense of companionship here. There's a sense of the song singing words over him. Tell me more, tell me more, was it? You see, you see now the dudes get together and it's their turn. They want to talk. And they ask Solly, why do you stare at this young woman of Shulam? And so she, he's very different. You see, he starts at the bottom. And he says, how beautiful are your sandaled feet, O queenly maiden. And then he goes up to the thighs. You see, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of skilled craftsmen. And then he goes, your navel, you see, this is the belly button, is perfectly formed like a, like a goblet filled with mixed wine. And you see, then he goes back down. You see, between your thighs lies a mound of wheat bordered with lilies. Hey, You think it's fun being a preacher. You can't choose what you want to talk about, you know, but this is, this is in God's Word. You should read your Bibles, guys, honestly. It's quite surprising every morning. Anyway, we're not done yet. And then this dude, he does, I think, what many dudes do. He identifies with us, maybe, but he goes right there. He says, your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle, you know, cute and cuddly and, you know, luring him in. And then, and then he says, you see, your neck is as beautiful as an ivory tower. Your eyes are like sparkling pools of Heshbon. Your nose is as fine as a tower of Lebanon. Your head is as majestic as Mount Carmel. And the sheen of your hair radiates like royalty. It says the king is held captive by its tresses. Oh, how beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love. How full of delights. But then he, he goes back there. You see you, you see, you are slender like a palm tree. And then your breasts, you see. You see now, it's dominating the song here. Your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. And then he says, I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. What does he mean there? Theologically, pastor, can we meditate? Can we, can we stay there just a little bit? Don't move on. Don't worry, he doesn't. He's like, may your breasts, I mean, three times, yeah, be like grapes. Grape clusters and, and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. And, and there, there's this sense where, where he's looking and he's noticing and he's using metaphors and language and song to speak words of love and deep affirmation. And so there's this exclusivity and there's this safety and, and there are these words and this purity and then she says, promise me, honestly, promise me, O woman of Jerusalem. This stuff is powerful. It's, it's transcendent. It's, it's mysterious. This gift from God is, is unique like no other. There is so much beauty in this gift. Promise me not to awaken love until the time is right. 
Read your context, look at your scenario, look at where you are in your life. Do not awaken. Don't open this until the time is right. Can I ask a question? Like, who wants this? This beauty, this, this relationship, this intimacy, this closeness. So that's what we learn in the song, and, and we see something of God's heart here. He, he's not a killjoy, he's not shy around it. He's given this gift to be enjoyed by this couple in this way. But now we must go to Corinth, to the beast. You see, Corinth was, was, a, was a city uh, situated in a major kind of trade route, and, and it was a city filled with diversity. It would host some of the famous games, sporting games that, that we know of in history. And in this city, uh, there were two temples. There was a temple on the top of the hill and a temple on the bottom of the hill. And in that context and culture, uh, temples and religious experience were closely linked to sex. And so what would happen is from the one temple, every evening, a thousand women would walk down the hill. A thousand prostitutes would come down. And at the bottom of the hill were these little boys. And, and, and Corinth could go and engage in some of the most um, dark stuff, stuff that God didn't design this gift to be used for. And so Paul writes to this church in Corinth who, who was maybe starting to look and, and, and behave a little bit like its context and culture. Paul says, guys, I, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. Like the way that the Christians were behaving in this church in Corinth. He, he's like the unbelievers maybe were looking in on this church going, you're, no, no, you, you know, I'm told that, that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother, that, that there's this man, and he's got this father, and this father's maybe on the second marriage for whatever reason we don't know, and this man, in the name of Jesus, is comforting her with love and, and sleeping with her. And in the church in Corinth, you know, Paul says, and you are so proud of yourselves. I mean, they were cheering him on, but, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And then he talks to this church in Corinth. He says, you guys say, I'm allowed to do anything. You see, it's my body. And I'm saved by grace and I'm free and, 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 I, and I can use my body in any way that I want because, because of this freedom. I can watch what I want. I can read what I want. I can do what I want. And then Paul says, but not everything is good for you. I mean, can we agree with that? That, that? that we can watch stuff and read stuff and do stuff, but we can agree that not everything that we watch, read, and do is good for us. And then he says, and even though you say, you know, I'm allowed to do anything, I'm, I'm free. Paul looks at this, this church, at these, these people in Corinth, and he gives this picture. He's like, I must not become a slave to anything. You see, what he sees is they shout out, we're free, is he sees that there's this picture of slavery, that, that these people are, are potentially tormented and, and oppressed and, and controlled and, and beaten by their conscience, and, and as they get dressed up weekend after weekend, uh, looking for this 
uh, th- this fix as they click and as they move up the hill and to the bottom of the hill, uh, moving to the clubs of that time and day and age. Paul's saying, guys, you guys think that you're free. But I think there's a, a sense of, of this bondage and, and this slavery. That's what this gift from God is doing to you. You guys say that that food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. And this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But but then they were saying, look, if if food is made for the stomach and stomach is made for the food, well, well, our bodies, they, they were made for sex and sex was made for the body, Paul. Paul's saying, but you can't say that. You can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. You see, they were made for the Lord. God has fearfully and wonderfully made us. And he's saying that that our created bodies, they were made for him. And that the Lord cares about our bodies. You may not care about your body, but God cares about your body. Maybe even more than you care about your body. Your body is so important to God that it has eternal value. He's like, God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. God values our bodies. And then he says three times, Corinth, I want you to realize, don't you realize that that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? That, that, That you're actually a part of Christ, that you're so connected to Christ. And should a man take his body which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute, which is what they were doing in their context and their culture. And prostitutes of our day may look different through social media and through screens and through various clubs and through activities, whatever that looks like. Paul says, should I do this? Never. Because I'm actually a part of Christ. I belong to Him. And Corinth, I want you to realize something. Don't you realize That if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. Because the scriptures say that that when you engage sexually, something transcendent and mysterious and and powerful happens. The the two are united into one. But the one person who is joined to the Lord is is one spirit with him. See, Paul is saying here that, that it's not just physical. It's not just physical. And that practice doesn't make perfect. That there's some unique oneness that happens. And I think about it. Emotionally, you connect. Relationally, you you connect. Physically, you you connect. There's like this bond. And he's saying, how can someone who experiences that in their relationship with God, this this relational and this emotional connection, this closeness and and intimacy, how can you go and and join yourself in that way? And then he says, guys, please flee from sexual sin. This metaphor is is a metaphor of of running. Put, Put your running shoes on. If you're using this gift in the wrong way, Paul is saying run. But why? What's so bad? It's it's just, it's just a sleepover. It's just camping. It's just foreplay, Paul. Why? And then Paul says something very interesting. He's like, I, I want you to see if you agree with me on this. 
No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. There are many sins potentially that we can not listen to the Lordship of Christ, but he's saying in this particular case, it is so important because nothing affects you like this. He says, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. If you misuse this gift from God, you're only hurting yourselves. Is this true? Well, I found as, as I've spoken to uh, couples that, that committed such uh, love and, and promises and, uh, you know, we, we're like BFFs and, and, and then they've gone and done things that, that they shouldn't have done in a context that doesn't honor God and then there's this breakup and then you meet with one of them and you see that, that, that in this particular case, this thing is so difficult to shake off. That there's, there's such hurt, there's such exposure and vulnerability, that there are tears, that, that you wonder if this person's going to come back from this. Because you see, they're affected by this like no other thing. Or when you speak to couples that, that have gone through the pain of an affair, that there is so much rejection and hurt and, and there are tears and there's this trauma They've been cut so deeply in this area. Or, or when you speak to, to someone who, who just can't break the, the addiction of porn, just repetitive and over and over, and then they come to you and it's like the, the bedroom is such a crowded place and these pictures and these people are in their hearts and in their mind and they just can't shake it. You see, if someone steals from you, you, you can replace that property. If someone lies to you, you can get over it. But Paul is saying, this sin is in a category entirely of its own. It will clearly affect you. Is this true? And that's why Paul is saying, don't flirt. How close can I get? Don't awaken this kind of gift until the time is right and the context is right. Flee, run. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. He's using this image. He's saying that, that, that your body is valuable. It's like, like the temple of Jerusalem, the center of the worship of God's people. And he's like, God lives in you. Imagine if, if a president or, or if someone of great importance moved in and lived in your house. Everything would be different. And he's saying the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the president of presidents and the most important person, he resides in you. You are not a commodity. You're sacred ground. And don't you know actually that, that, that you don't belong to yourself? You might think that, that, that you belong to you. Paul's saying to Corinth, Corinth, you don't belong to yourself. Do you know why? Because God bought you with a high price. And, and, and as these guys in Corinth were, were heading up the hill, and there was this sense of, of slavery, and they were unable to kind of break out of this thing, Paul's saying that God stood right in the marketplace where all of you were chained. And he says, with the highest price, with the cost of his son, he shed blood to buy you back. He bought you because you matter to him. And so you're not your own. 
And so therefore, because you are a part of Christ, because you are valuable to Christ eternally, because it's, it's not just physical, because this is, this is holy ground, because God lives in you, you must honor God with your body. And so as we look at these two accounts, we see beauty and the beast as we engage with this gift. And so the big question is, well, in light of that, how does God want us to steward this gift? A gift like no other that he's given to us. And I realize we come from different places tonight. You know, for some of us, that are single, we walk around the Christmas tree and, and honestly, we just, we, we're burning. We just want to open this gift. Like, like, like there's this passion and this burning and, and you're intrigued and, and you just, you want to explore, you know? And, and the scriptures are clear. God is clear. He's like, when the time is right, get married. Like if you get married, there is freedom for you to enjoy this gift that I've given from heaven. That's great advice. And then there are those of us that in our marriage relationships, honestly, we might sit here and, and think, you know, I, I've given up in this area. I, we've kind of taken this gift and, and put it on the shelf. You know, honestly, Ryan, I'm too pooped to whoop. You know, I, I was reading um, about... Uh, one guy who was saying one of the greatest enemies to the use of this gift is, is weariness because of our schedules and our busyness and, and, um, and all the pressures of life that we have. And I remember an old couple sat Kirsten and I down when we got married. And they had a real heart-to-heart conversation with us. And they said, look, I want you to know that this gift that God has given you, it's the powerhouse of your marriage. It, it is like lubricant in the engine of your car as you navigate life. And if you're not gonna use this gift, if you're gonna deprive one another of this gift and not serve one another and ask one another, how how are you doing in this area? They said, one of a few things are gonna happen. There's gonna be anger and frustration in, in, in your relationship. One of you might be tempted to go and look at porn one of you might be tempted to go and, and, and um, sleep with somebody else. And, 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 and one of you might be tempted to go and try and actually serve yourself. And they said, this gift is unique. And only you two can serve one another in this unique way, in this special relationship of yours. I was really struck by that. I remember another guy was asked, you know, how have you managed to remain faithful in, in a context and a culture that's so promiscuous and, and kind of where, where freedom is promoted that you can do everything? And he said, you know, it's kind of like this. He's like, why would I pop into the cake store when, when we have great, rich, home-cooked meals at home? You know, why would I go and eat that sugar-coated donut or, or cake when, when at home we, we are we have this rich stew where we love one another, affirm one another, sing over one another, enjoy one another. And I remember I was really encouraged 
by that couple and how they've used this gift given by God. Now, now there are some of us, as, as we interact with this gift tonight, that are misusing it. And, and, and the scriptures are saying to us tonight, you might not see it now, but you're actually hurting yourself. Well, how, Paul? How am I hurting myself? I, I remember this person coming up to me saying, Ryan, you know, we're about to get married and, and I need to have the talk. And I said, well, what's the talk? Now, I need to talk about the multiple partners. How do I do that? And I remember thinking to myself, oh, no. And that couple had to navigate some seriously tricky territory. And yes, there is forgiveness. And yes, there is restoration. And yes, there is healing for any who have misused this gift. But that doesn't mean that there aren't scars. You know, well, what do you mean by that? I remember a couple's testimony sharing that one of the partners, as they were engaging on their honeymoon, uh, this person started crying, and the other person said, what's wrong? And the response was, I just can't stop thinking about all the other people. You see, that bedroom was a crowded bedroom, and there was real pain and hurt, and that's what I mean by scars. And God identifies with us in that place. The very song writer of the song that we've looked at he blew it, and it hurt him deeply. And so the scripture's encouragement is for any of us in that place, flee, 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 flee. You are free to flee. You know, I want to end with, with um, some potentially as we interact with this gift are, are in a sense, maybe addicted can't stop thinking about it. it. It's become like a little bit of a God. And there's this bondage and there's this slavery. And I remembered this story and it was this picture of, of, of an eagle. You see, there was this eagle that was chained. And for years and years and years, this, this eagle walked round and round and round and round in this rut. And someone came along with, with a lot of wealth and said, name your price. I want to purchase this eagle's freedom. And so there was an agreement that was made, and this person purchased this eagle's freedom and got the keys and unlocked uh, the, the chains that this, that this eagle was experiencing. And as the crowds watched, do you know what happened? This eagle kept walking around and round, and round. And my sense is that this might be a picture for many of us tonight. That, that we have been bought by God out of slavery as we've interacted with this gift at a high price because God wants to bring freedom. He, he wants your life and your interaction with this gift to look a little bit like this picture. This is his picture for you and for your life. And that can be true tonight.
He's done a great work on the cross and his spirit lives in us and you are valuable to him and we can trust him for this. Let's pray together.